What number is this, Chip? Episode 65. Mike joining the monkeys live. Upcoming Peter Tork shows with Shoe Suede Blues. Our report on the Rainbow Room and why it matters. The monkeys featured in AARP. And more monkey news. Okay, no, I mean, don't get excited, man. It's because I'm sure I know. You're listening to Zilch, a monkey's podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Zilch, your podcast full of monkeys. I'm joined today by Sarah Clark. Hey, everybody. Boy, it is a busy time in the world of the monkeys. Who knew when we started this podcast that it would be hopping like it is, but it is hopping indeed. Oh, indeed. Yeah, I I, I thought to myself it was going to calm down a little after the Blu-ray, and no, we're just and after good still times, going 90 but... miles an hour. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, on our last episode of Zilch, when last we left Zilch, sounds like one of those Batman cliffhangers, but... Uh, there you go. When last we left Zilch, we had an excellent conversation with John Billings, the Monkey's Live touring bass player, and that was so much fun. We've had a tremendous reaction amongst the fans out there. A lot of people really liked it and shared it up, and just fantastic. We appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you for sharing it. And a lot of people got to know... John, uh, you know, kind of as a musician and as a person, they kind of learned a little bit about his backstory. What did you think of the interview, Sarah? Oh, I loved it. I was actually listening to it again on in the car on my way home from the dentist to record. Yeah, it was just such a fun interview, and we got to touch on so many different things. And if nothing else, I came away with a new respect for the Carpenters. <laughs> Absolutely. And, of course, we want you to go out and see John Billings and the rest of the Monkees and the Monkees Touring Band and the whole road crew. Get out there, see the Monkees this summer. And while we're talking Monkees Live, it's time for Monkees News. I'll put on my wool hat here and we'll uh, get get all fancy and set up here. There you go. (laughs) It turns out that Mike is returning to the road for a date. And as we are days away from the Monkees playing live on AXS TV, which will air on August 11th, Mike Nesmith announced that he will be joining the guys. Right, Sarah? Everybody in the Monkees community was just thrilled. I mean, I think a lot of us had been sort of keeping our fingers crossed that that might happen ever since the Monterey date was announced. But to get official confirmation is always wonderful. Mm-hmm. Should we read what he wrote on Facebook? Yes, we should. Okay. Let me pull it up. Okay, Mike writes, So, the guys are coming to Monterey. I am ahead of schedule on my book, Infinite Tuesday. The fires are almost out, and they sent me a nice invitation to come play at the State Theater with them. And so I am. I haven't played it in a while, hands a little stiff, but I can do a couple or three songs with them that I would really enjoy. I changed the strings on my Gretsch this afternoon, tuned it up, gave it a polish, and 
this Friday, August 5th at, in Monterey at the State Theater. One time only for now. I still have to deliver the book, but the delivery is getting closer faster than I thought. No heartaches felt, no longer lonely. Nights of waiting finally won me. Happiness, that's all rolled up in you. Smiley face. See you there, I hope. That is excellent. So. Aww, he's just so sweet. <laughs> so for those who are seeing the monkeys in Monterey on August 5th, this is going to be fantastic. Driving out to Monterey, right? Yep. I, I really hope we get uh, me and Magdalena, and I really hope that somebody provides video to us poor souls who can't, you know, fly out to Monterey. So if you're seeing Mike today on August 5th in Monterey at the State Theater, we hope that you enjoy us and let us know what's going on. And in other Live Monkeys news, this is kind of a treat, something we've been looking forward to, to, to all of us here at Zilch. We are huge fans of Peter Tork, and Peter Tork is going to be doing some Shoe Suede Blues appearances coming up. We could not be more excited, right, Sarah? Oh, I know. I'm delighted. It's been, gosh, it's been four years since I've been to a Shoe Suede Blues show, and I'm really looking forward to this one. And there's some whispers of some dates coming up, but what do we know as of right now today? Yes, we know of two shows that are definite on the weekend of October 14th through 16th. October 14th, they will be at Club 66 in Edgewood, Maryland. And then on Sunday, October 16th, they will be at the Infinity Hall in Hartford, Connecticut. And having seen Shoe Suede Blues, if you are anywhere in the Northeast U.S. and and feasible to make either of those dates in Maryland or Connecticut, uh, go out. And, and, And we've heard whispers that they may try to slide something into that Saturday, but we don't know yet. As soon as we are able to tell you, we will tell you. And not only is it going to be a Peter Tork event and a Shoe Suede Blues event, but we're also going to make them some Zilch events. We're hoping to have Zilch parties there and give out some buttons, buttons, who's got the buttons, so. Yes, Melanie and Jeff are definitely going to be at uh, those shows, and I am still working on the logistics, but I, I'm going to try to make it out. I, I make no promises to Zilch Nation yet, but there's a possibility I may go out, because, um, you know, I think I have a problem, Ken. <laughs> Yeah, you're a fan. So yep. so we look forward to seeing you out on the road, and hopefully these Zilch gatherings will happen either at the venue or before the venue. All of the things will be made known to you. And please come out and support good music. This is a chance to see Peter Tork at a not-too-expensive uh, of a price tag and a great way to be up close and personal. And I hear that one of the events, there's only 500 seats available for the one, so you really want to get in on it. Yeah, all the Shoe Suede Blues shows are at pretty, you know, intimate, fun venues, and almost every time that Shoe Suede Blues plays, there is a opportunity for autographs and photos and meet and greets with Peter after the show. That is something that, you know, they can't really do logistically with most monkeys shows. So it's, it's, a, if you want to have that experience, it's a special way to do it. And um, usually that's a free opportunity too. So. And of course, because of the success of the monkeys tour this summer, these are the only way you'll get to see Peter Tork doing something he truly loves, and that's mm-hmm. his Shoe Suede Blues project. Please check out the Shoe Suede Blues Band. If you if you aren't into them, shame on you. It's great stuff, and it's a great way to see Peter Tork in his element. So Absolutely. We, 
so we encourage all of our fans and friends out there and and nice way to get uh, perhaps a promotional zilch button and maybe something more wouldn't that be something wouldn't that be something thank you john hughes for letting us use that phrase that's uh <laughs> yeah we're lucky he doesn't make us you know pay a royalty or right. something and speaking of monkeys fan gatherings, there's this thing going on out in Hollywood. Yes. And here's Zilcher Tim Powers to tell us all about it. Hey, Zilchers, it's Tim Powers from Deep Dish Radio, and I'm stepping in uh, right now to share with you uh, some very exciting news about what's happening in my hometown, Hollywood, California. On Saturday, August 13th, right there at the Egyptian Theater on Hollywood Boulevard, Rhino Records is presenting four, count them, four episodes screened right there on the big screen, direct from the Blu-ray. These are remastered prints of Monkeys vs. Machines, the one with Stan Freeberg. Uh, Monkeys Get Out More Dirt, the one with Julie Newmar. The Devil and Peter Tork, the one where they say... And the Frotus Caper, which Mickey wrote and directed all by himself. Now, this is all taking place right there on Hollywood Boulevard at the Egyptian Theater. And following these four episodes, Ileana Douglas, a famed actress, is going to be interviewing and moderating questions from you with one Mickey Dolenz right there, right there at the Egyptian Theater. I've been to a bunch of these, and uh, they are always a lot of fun. Now, here's where it really gets cool. Here's where it really gets cool. Uh, there's going to be a Zilch meetup, and I will be there. Uh, Richard Woloski will be there, and the great Jeff Geringer is going to be there, and we're going to be giving out Zilch pins. You know those Zilch pins that everybody talks about that they get at the shows? Well, you get yours at this event. Uh, find one of us. We'll be under some sort of Zilch-related banner, and you'll find us right there at the Egyptian Theater during this fan gathering while we watch four episodes all together in a giant living room right there in Hollywood. We love to meet you. We love meeting fellow Zilchers, and you guys seem to love meeting each other for whatever reason. So we will see you Saturday, August 13th at the Egyptian Theater right there in downtown Hollywood, California. That's Saturday, August 13th at 7.30 p.m. at the Egyptian Theater in Hollywood, California. So remember, that's August 13th, and Jeff Geringer, Tim Powers, and Richard Woloski and Sarah Woloski will be there, and you will get a zilch button, and you also get a chance to buy the Blu-ray, The Monkeys, The Complete Series, right there from Rhino themselves. You can open it up and make sure it works. If it doesn't, yep. just trade it right back in. So, <laughs> <laughs> And that, I mean, just think about it. You're going to be in a room with Mickey Dolan's surrounded by a bunch of monkeys fans and fellow zilchers watching four classic episodes of the monkeys and it's just so fantastic and iliana douglas will be hosting the thing plus you'll get to meet fellow zilchers and other people out in the hollywood california area get out there and support it so have fun yep i wish i could go it sounds like it's going to be an amazing evening and, you know, it's neat. We've, we've gotten to see some really great fan reaction to something else that we're doing here, and that's the hashtag InductTheMonkeys. And it's been crazy what's been going on. My goodness, the thing is blown up on Twitter. It's like every five minutes I see a buzz on my phone, and it's like somebody else tweeting out InductTheMonkeys. And it's not just, uh, you know, one or two people. We're talking about people like Kurt Loder from MTV and mm-hmm. Rolling Stone magazine. And... 
David Weil, also a writer from Rolling Stone. And it's just so amazing that people want the monkeys in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. If there's going to be a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the monkeys should be in there. The will of the people, after all. I'd like to thank some people who have really helped out this week. Greg Cedar, Jody Ritson. Hi, Jody. Chris McGovern, David Roberts. And uh, some of them have made cute little videos and graphics and some like with the Beatles and the monkeys hanging out together and reasons that the monkeys should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And it kind of breaks down all the barriers. And Amy Yost Pauling, she did something pretty crazy. She she had herself bound and gagged and tied to a chair with a Good Times monkey shirt on. And basically she, uh, you know, when I tweeted it, I said, don't make people listen to bad music and duck the monkeys into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So she's she's quite a sport. That was really cool of her to do. And funny as heck. Just made me laugh. Thought it was very crazy and wonderful. Yep. This is John Billings of the Monkeys Turing Band, and you're listening to Zilch, the Monkeys podcast. And please use the hashtag induct the monkeys. And let's get these guys into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know, when the monkeys made their comeback in the 80s it was on mtv yep well there's a big difference between then and now or now and then and that was then and this is now kind of a thing the monkeys are featured in aarp the magazine so uh boy that's a big big difference between the mtv and that why is it that all the you know aarp is having like bruce springsteen and the monkeys and all these cool people you know i i stay the same age everyone gets older what's the deal with that ken Yes. We're getting old. <laughs> anyway, we will have links in our show notes where you can check out the interview with Peter and Mickey. It's not a huge one, but it's it's very cool just to see them in AARP. I know yep. when I started getting those little cards in the mail saying you're eligible, and you know when you get the little check, like when you're filling out anything, mm-hmm. it says check your age. It's like I still want to go to 25. I still want to go to 18, but it. <sighs> Yep. I got a little while longer before I start getting the AARP uh, stuff, but it's coming. I'm turning 40 soon, so I know it's it's not that far down the road. Well, that's one of the good things about living long, I guess, is you have to put up with AARP mailers. So I'll take it over the alternative over any the day of the week. Yeah, I'm headed out to the sunshine, feeling it to my knees. All the way to my knees. That's right. Not my ankles, though, but to my no. knees. My ankles are too white. They've been in socks. Noted. Why don't they have monkey socks? Rhino? Monkey socks? We'll buy them. And in other I, news... I will totally wear those at, with, like, suits at work and stuff when giving presentations. And in other news... <laughs> August 11th, we're going to make you a believer when we kick off our concert series with rock and roll legends, The Monkeys. Then I saw her face. Now I'm a believer. They've earned their place in the rock and roll stage with hit after hit after hit. It's the Monkees, live from the Bomb Factory in Dallas, Texas, hosted by me, Mark Cuban, premiering Thursday, August 11th, right here on Access TV. Well, today on Zilch, we're going to talk about the Rainbow Room. Yes, and we are. It's it's just one of those little things that you don't think about, but it really was. When you think about the visual history of the Monkees, it's just one of those iconic sets, and so many of the classic moments happened on during in those rainbow room sessions whether it was mickey wearing the tablecloth or you know davy 
doing Dancing Up a Storm and Daydream Believer. It's just one of those moments and those settings that you just see and you instantly go, oh, monkeys. But before we get into that proper, here's an ad from Roseanne Welsh's book, Why the Monkeys Matter. Check it out. Hi, fellow Zilch fans. This is Dr. Roseanne Welch, author of Why the Monkeys Matter, Teenagers, Television, and American Pop Culture, a book about the enduring significance of the monkeys as a groundbreaking television program, one that introduced audiences to new ideas of political ideology and new concepts of class and feminist theory, a program that challenged the rules of a new medium and paved the way for future innovation. Why the Monkeys Matter highlights the artistic achievements of the show's writers, actors, directors, and other artists, and celebrates all that the monkeys mean to television, to American popular culture, and to us, the fans. Why the Monkeys Matter is available in print and for Kindle, Apple iBooks, and Nook from your favorite bookseller. Find out more at RoseanneWelch.com. R-O-S-A-N-N-E-W-E-L-C-H.com. Sarah, it's hard to imagine the monkeys without the Rainbow Room. I mean, Absolutely. it's such an iconic set piece in the monkeys' second season. And whether the songs were used as promotional videos in the 80s on MTV or in between episodes when they would do their marathons, it's, it's something that's kind of burned into our cultural retinas, if you will. And mm-hmm. it's hard to believe that on this month, back in 1967, on August 2nd, the Monkees filmed most of the music sequences that would later be included in much of the second season of the Monkees TV show. Yep, and it was just just a totally random circumstance that made it happen, as you guys will hear in this discussion. It was just a matter of them basically having a surprise extra free day in their touring schedule and you know Bob Rafelson didn't want them just sitting around you know hanging out at the pool or something they needed to go record eight music videos Mm -hmm. not only that they also did some stuff at WLS in Chicago they took over the radio station and while staying there in Chicago the band worked on some tracks to help finish up the recording of the album Pisces Aquarius Capricorn and Jones Limited at Chicago's RCA recording studios Producer and background vocalist Chip Douglas flew into Chicago to meet with the band, recording additional parts to some already recorded songs, including Salesman, Cuddly Toy, and along with working on the traditional Spanish Christmas carol, Rio Chio. So, so much happened during this time. It's, mm-hmm. it's just amazing. This month in 1967. Here is a sample of the songs that were filmed in the Rainbow Room. 7 What number is this, Chip? 7A. Okay, no, I mean, like, don't get excited, man. It's because I'm short, I know. Hover, Reba, Sabbath, Sovan, Hover, Seba, Snack. See the rabbit, Hover, Sovan, what did you expect? No time. No time, no time. No time for you. She turned away and said, Once I loved, but love is dead. And I whispered, Sometimes love is only sleeping. Well, she hangs out 
Just a loudmouth Yankee, I went down to Mexico I didn't have much time to spend about a week or so There I lightly took advantage of a girl who loved me so But I found myself thinking when the time had come to go there over the years the studio changed hands and what was once Fred Nile Studios wound up becoming Oprah Winfrey's Harpo Studios. So we're going to join Melanie Mitchell and some really cool zilch people and fellow monkey fans to talk about the Rainbow Room and the importance of the Rainbow Room in our collective monkeys story. 
Welcome back. This is Melanie Mitchell, your TV girl. I've been wanting to do a focus on one aspect of the television show, and I thought about doing the interviews or perhaps the commentary tracks. Then I had the inspiration, and it came from my friend Melinda Gildart, because she reported that she had actually visited the studio in Chicago where the Rainbow Room videos were filmed. So I thought, let's do a talk about the Rainbow Room itself. And I have on the line with us three friends, Melinda Gildart, familiar voice to Zilch listeners. She lives in Chicago, and I knew she needed to be a part of this panel because she's <laughs> been to the studio. Hi, Melinda. Hey, Zilchers. Got my love beads on. <laughs> Good times. <laughs> uh, Megan Stemwaite is also from Chicago. And folks, if you haven't seen her hilarious compilation video of monkeys running gags, you've got to go see it. It is absolutely wonderful work. And you're also a, a scholar of pop culture and media, right? I think we could say that. That's very nice of you, Melanie. Hi, everybody. I'm thrilled to be back on Zilch. Thanks for having me. Welcome back. And our third guest is a new voice on the Zilch podcast. Bronwyn Knox Lawler is a blogger who has been working her way through the episodes of the Monkeys TV show, writing insightful and critical recaps. I've been enjoying your blog for several months, Bronwyn. I was very glad to have a reason to invite you to talk about the TV show. Yeah, Welcome, thank Bronwyn. you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Now, your blog is called Monkey versus Machine, but with two E's, right? Right. Monkeys versus Machines, sort of making fun of the spelling of the monkey's ah. name. It appears on a website called blissville.net, uh, usually every other Wednesday or Thursday. And I have a lot of fun writing it. I have a lot of fun reading it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so if I say the term rainbow room to each of you, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? Let's start with Bronwyn. So I'm a New Yorker. So when I hear rainbow room, I'm thinking the restaurant ballroom at Rockefeller Plaza, <laughs> <laughs> which I've only been in once in the mid 90s. And apparently they've remodeled it since I was there. Let's see, I just had a thought. I don't know if the term Rainbow Room is really official for the monkeys or if it's just something that has been used by fans. I know I saw it in a magazine article somewhere and I've always called it that, but hmm. Yeah, it's, I don't think it's clear as to what the origin of that term is, but it is synonymous with the monkeys. Melinda, what is the first thing that pops into your mind when you hear Rainbow Room? Um, iconic. <laughs> Just iconic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Creation of music videos. That's what I think yeah. of. Yeah. How about you, Megan? I think of Daydream Believer. It's it's in that room. It's um, you know, during the resurgence in nineteen eighty six, it was a video that was being played everywhere. And I just always think of that song first. Were these performances getting airplay on MTV as actual videos? Daydream Believer was. I don't think any of the other Rainbow Room session videos were. Interesting. I had never thought of that. But I suppose, you know, in between all the contemporary videos of 1986, they might have, you know, slotted, you know, as you say, maybe just Daydream Believer. But that would have been right. cool. Well, it was released as a 45, as a single. So I think that, you know, it was getting airplay along with That Was Then, This Is Now um, and some of the other singles of that era.
they say it's time for me to make my confession. Um, I was not a fan in 1986. I didn't have cable. I never saw the monkeys on MTV. I never saw MTV at all. So this is new information to me. So thank you for, for providing that context. Oh, you bet. You're making up for lost time, Melanie. Yeah, I'm trying to. <laughs> <laughs> so Megan, set the scene for us. What brought the monkeys to Chicago? Sure. Well, they were on tour in the summer of 1967. Um, they started in Jacksonville, Florida at the beginning of July. But that summer was, you know, not to use such cliched terms, but it was very turbulent for the whole country. There was a lot of tension and pain over civil rights issues. If we remember, um, the Civil Rights Act had only been passed three years previous. There's still so much going on. And really, the things I'm going to talk about could be, I could be talking about, you know, last summer, really, for some of these issues. But there, there was a lot happening. There was a lot of protests over things like police brutality, economic and housing discrimination all over the country. So as we get into July, um, the monkeys were scheduled to be in Detroit on the 29th. But a week before that, on the 22nd, there was an enormous bout of civil unrest that broke out after a violent raid of a all-black nightclub um, in the city. And protests about the way that people were treated in that raid turned into lots and lots of violence. Over, I think, 41 or 43 people were killed um, in that unrest. So the result was that the Monkees concert there was canceled and rescheduled for later in the summer. So they just went on to Chicago. Their concert went on in Chicago, as it was supposed to. But the concert on the next day, which was supposed to be in Milwaukee, was also canceled because unrest was burbling up there, too. So they found themselves with a stretch of time. Um, and on August 2nd, they ended up at um, Fred Niles Studios and started filming all these segments in what we call the Rainbow Room. Um, so it was really just coincidence that they had the extra time. And yeah, they- it's an interesting you know, moment in time of... Uh, you know, some pretty important things going on in the country. And like I said, things that we could really be talking about, you know, Ferguson, we could be talking about Baltimore in terms of some of these issues that are still, you know, um, unresolved and still very painful for all of us. But, um, you know, along with this really important time in 67 here, the monkeys with um, some time on their hands and they end up filming what are some very iconic segments for the show. It's, It's quite some context there. Melinda, what have you learned about the Fred Niles Studios? Well, the Fred Niles Studio is most famously known as Harpo Studios, which was home to the Oprah Winfrey show for 30 years. But before the facility became a film studio, it was actually a cold storage warehouse. And then it was home to the 2nd Regimental Armory and also served as a temporary morgue. Um, Back in 1915, there was a ferry uh, disaster that occurred on the Chicago River and over 1,100 people died. And the workers over the years, even as recently as the Harpo staff last year, they all claimed that the facility was haunted. But they all contend that the ghosts were friendly ghosts. It was also a skating rink before it was transitioned to a film studio in the late 50s. And they produced mostly commercials and corporate films, some PSAs. The studio actually had a reputation for good productions, fast, but on the cheap. And then Niles also had a Hollywood office and studio, which handled, uh, handled mostly animation projects. In 65, Arthur Penn and Warren Beatty teamed up uh, two years prior to Bonnie and Clyde. They filmed uh, the film Mickey One There, which actually has a reputation similar to Head, as it was a complete box office and critical disaster at the time of release. Um, But now it has a cult following and it's considered an art house classic. The studio also has some pretty cool former employees like William Bill Clarkson. Um, He's an independent filmmaker who was an assistant director at Niles when the Monkees were there in 67. 
And he actually went on to become the Chicago production manager for the movie Mahogany with Diana Ross and Billy Dee Williams. And also Bob Newhart was an ad copywriter at Fred Niles. <laughs> yeah, Bob Newhart. And, and Barbara Roche, uh, who started as a receptionist and production assistant there, she went on to become uh, the casting agent as partner in Holzer Roche Casting for most of the blockbuster movies that were filmed in Chicago in the 80s and 90s, you know, such as Home Alone and The Fugitive and Ferris Bueller. Uh, I think they even did the casting for uh, Oprah Winfrey's Women of Brewster plays. So thanks, Bill, and, and thanks, Barbara, for um, for talking to me and being so gracious and, and listening to me gush about the monkeys. <laughs> Thank you both. <laughs> now, the, the one question I said to you, we were not able to find a definitive answer on. Did the Rainbow Room already exist as a standing set, or was this something that was created specifically for the, the monkeys to use on that day? To put it into context, just how huge this complex is, you know, it spans a full city block and it contains three sound stages. Now, the Rainbow Room was part of stage one, which was the largest stage. And it's larger than an NBA uh, basketball court. It's 100 feet long, whereas an NBA court is about 95 uh, feet. So it's really large. And the production area known as the Rainbow Room was, you know, Mythbuster, not a real room. Um, It was actually a cyclorama or an infinity wall with a cove built into the bottom of it, producing that infinity background effect. Fred Niles had carpenters and an art department in-house. More than likely, they built the cove into the bottom of some pre-existing walls, and they did the painting on very short notice. Probably would have taken them about six to eight hours. So more than likely, this was built specifically for the monkeys. Interesting. So that cove you're describing, that's the curve where the floor yes. meets the wall. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And now also they, uh, Rafelson and I, uh, Bob Rafelson directed these performances, would have had to bring with him some props from California, um, in particular for the uh, What Am I Doing Hanging Round mm-hmm. uh, performance, because they had a serape and a sombrero on the wall and some decorative cloth pieces that sort of resembled the set from the episode, It's a Nice Place to Visit. The previous concert being canceled, they would have had adequate time to notify the studio that they wanted to come in on, it was a Wednesday, August 2nd, and have this done. But yeah, you know, Bob had to bring the sombrero with him. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, they could have gotten the sombrero locally, but the the, the decorative cloth pieces actually match the episode. So those would have had to have been brought in from from California. And we know that Rafelson directed because during the interview segment that comes at the end of Everywhere Shake Shake, Peter is holding a clapboard and you can see director B. Rafelson, I think that's what it says, but it's, it's clear who it's referring to as the director that day. Uh, the same question is going to all three of you, but I'll ask Bronwyn first. Okay. Eight songs filmed on that day. If I had asked you six months ago, would you have been able to come up with at least six or five? I mean, did you think of these as a list? Yeah, because of YouTube, really, because about six months ago or more when I started um, getting really heavily into the monkeys again, I saw the person who had put them together as a string and I about the first six that you have on your list there are all strung together. So due to the wonders of the internet, it would have made it a little easier for me to name them. (laughs) (laughs) Same question to Megan. Yeah, no, I don't think I would have been able to do it. (laughs) I think if I, if I sat and thought through it, they all sort of would have, would have started to pop out. But 
you know, when I, when I sat down to watch them and, um, I kept saying, Oh my gosh, no time. That's right. Oh my gosh. I have watched the show so much, but I just sort of forgot how many were in the rainbow room. It was kind of joyful to watch them all. Melinda? I would probably be able to name seven, but absolutely not salesman. I had no idea that, that it was also filmed in the rainbow room. I just did not make the connection, you know, even looking at the episode and, and it, it, I just didn't make the connection. Okay. Well, I'll go ahead and, and list them. Randy Scows get no time. Daydream believer. She hangs out. Pleasant Valley Sunday. Love is only sleeping. What am I doing hanging around and salesman? And the one that I always have trouble remembering is she hangs out. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Can you, that I usually it. get to seven really? and then I get stuck on that one. <laughs> I don't um, know about you, but when I think of she hangs out, I usually think of the, the performance version of that from um, some like it lukewarm. So yeah, I totally forget that there's a, a rainbow room version too. Mm-hmm. What am I doing hanging around? Of course they had to put, bring in a, a different backdrop and platform, but there are some photographs that show um, the rainbow stripes on the floor. Salesman is an odd one in that we don't have a complete performance. We only have a couple of clips and some photographs. Um, The clips uh, do appear in the episode, The Devil and Peter Tork. If you watch the uh, Salesman sequence from that episode, you will see a few moments from that performance where Mike is very clearly singing the word salesman. The photographs, interestingly enough, imply that a wind machine was used for that sequence. Uh, Peter's hair is blown straight up in the air, like under a very, very high wind. And the other thing that's really weird is that we don't know. There might have been others. There might have been a ninth song that just got left on the cutting room floor and never got used. So we have eight performances. Each one is unique. So let me ask this. Which song performance really works for you and which song performance falls a little flat? I mentioned earlier Daydream Believer is very iconic for me. I I can't imagine that happening anywhere else. I think that one is kind of perfect. It's kind of crazy and joyful. Mike's tie is going in his guitar. Mickey's sticking his arm through the tambourine. It's just, it's hilarious and it's perfect. I also really love Love is Only Sleeping. Um, I think that one works really well and for that kind of serious, wonderful song. I think Pleasant Valley Sunday and No Time, those are also ones that I just, they all really pop for me. I think they're perfect in the Rainbow Room. And they have that air, uh, that kind of air of like, they all seem a little, maybe just a touch exhausted. I mean, they're in the middle of this tour and there's so much going on. And they're just letting it all hang out and having a really great time. She Hangs Out, maybe, it's not my favorite. It just seems kind of a little flatter, a little like, yeah, we're standing around and kind of miming this song. So that might be the one that isn't, doesn't work as well for me. Okay. So Melinda, which song performances really work for you and which ones leave you a little flat? I mean, they are all iconic. I, I love them all, but I would have to say Randy Scouse get um, in no time because they are total group efforts and the chemistry with all four guys is just insane. Uh, that's what makes me love those two uh, the most. With Davey's performances, he he really just took over. And um, Love is Only Sleeping, the way it's shot, um, I didn't like the fact that not all the monkeys appear in the same frame. I don't think at any point in a video. And for some reason, I just, I didn't like that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I love, you know, Mickey messing around with the control box. Um, but that would have to be my least favorite performance outside of Salesman because it's not finished. Yeah. <laughs> but Randy Scouts get, you know, with the guys raging at the end and, you know, and Mike with his funny faces. And then, you know, he's yawning, you know, like he's just really not interested. You know, he was just totally hilarious in that. But, you know, Davey standing up drumming and, and Peter just being the mad pianist, you know, it's it's fantastic. Well, I think it's interesting that the two that you named as your favorites were the two from headquarters. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bronwyn, how about you? So I agree with uh, Melinda about no time. That is a, a big favorite for me. I love the energy of their performance in that. And then the other one that's a big favorite is actually she hangs out. I love uh, Davy's performance in that is dancing. He looks so happy. And I think the other guys really do a good job of backing him up on that one. Um, the one that falls a little flat for me is Pleasant Valley Sunday. Even though I love that song, it's great, but I they don't seem as energetic. They're not performing as much. They look a little tired. <laughs> well, I'm sure they were, right? Yeah. Yeah. If, if you've seen, um, I know you all have, the interview that was filmed that day um, backstage, uh, we saw it at the end of Everywhere Shake Shake, um, for in particular, Mickey is exhausted and not in a particularly good mood to cooperate. Yeah, and it says he doesn't want to yeah. be was- interviewed. Yeah. Hey, man, welcome back. Thank welcome you. Back oh, to the year. Are we doing this? Are we rolling? Are yeah, rolling? you're on, baby. 34135. Oh, brother. My sister had another baby. I had all the windows of my cars painted black. Hi, America. Hi, television land. Mickey, does he think I really hate these interviews? <laughs> what are you wearing, babe? Tablecloth. Carpet. It's been a couple of months since we've all seen you, and you've changed. He's wearing an earring. Yeah. This is a carpet from Davy Jones's dining room. <laughs> that is Mike's line. Mike's line. Mike's line. And how about your hair? Where'd you get that from? Uh, I just let it grow. <laughs> Peter? What have you got around your neck there? Beads. Yeah, what are they strung from? Well, uh, this one is uh, strung... <laughs> Davey, did you get to see your family this summer? Yeah, I saw my father, my sisters. Oh, did no. you know? Did what? you know that a chick mailed herself to Davy? Davy did. Oh that. yeah, what happened about that? Some some young lady came up with the bright idea of mailing herself to us. Yeah, so she really put herself in a big box. <laughs> put herself in a box this big and sent herself up and put photographs on it. And we opened it, and this young lady popped out. What happened to her? Popped her back in again. <laughs> we shipped it to the Beatles. I really hate these interviews. We'll do an interview together, you and me. Here we go. Well, uh, t- tell me, Mick, uh, where did you uh, really get your hair? Oh. 35. <laughs> Welcome back. Everyone. We walk so funny. It may have been a long day. It was also August 2nd, and they were wearing long sleeve costumes <laughs> under hot it's lights. Midwest heat, no yeah. doubt. There is a photograph of Bob Rafelson on that set with them. I think it's during the um, Daydream Believer sequence because they're all clustered around the piano. And Bob Rafelson is not wearing a shirt. Yes, I've seen that picture. So if their director was shirtless in this work environment, and they were all wearing long sleeve costumes, you know, I I certainly can understand why by the end of the day, they, they might be a little deflated. And I think there are certainly elements in many of these uh, sequences where in particular, Mike is clearly not having it. Yeah, that's what it looks like to me, too. Yeah. You know, I actually looked it up. It was 88 degrees in Chicago that day. And the studio does did not have air conditioning. But they did have a huge fan in the ceiling. 
So apparently that wasn't giving them too much relief because Bob was like really shiny with sweat <laughs> in that photo. <laughs> oh, wow. So it, it was just incredibly hot. I don't know how Mickey was standing with the turtleneck, you know, underneath his poncho. Yeah. yeah. Turtleneck and tablecloth going on. Yeah. And, and, and Davy's Nehru jacket does not look like it would have been very uh, breezy. No. <laughs> Um, my favorite is is Randy Scow's git. Um, I think it's just so interesting visually the the vibrancy of the uh, costumes they're wearing and the you know the additional interest of having the the kettle drum on the stage. Um, I just love the energy of that one. Um, the one that doesn't work for me is Love Is Only Sleeping. I cannot abide that thing with Mickey playing with the dials and then falling asleep and then playing the dials and falling asleep. I have no idea what that thing is, but it just, it's a, it's a joke that goes on like 30 seconds too long and it just doesn't work for me at all. And I also have to call out the um, sequence, what am I doing hanging around? They went to all that trouble to bring in the props from California. The instruments are all wrong. The instruments and the placement of Mike and Peter, they sort of swap sides and Mike's got his hat in the episode. Yeah. yeah. And the curly <laughs> hair. I mean, Mickey's yeah. hair wasn't curly in that episode, but it was in the video. Peter was playing a bass and um, just every instrument was different. But, you know. Even the drum color, uh, the logo is different. Right. Right. Bronwyn, how do the eight Rainbow Room songs tie in with the music that was being used on the tour? And and how does it tie in with the way the songs were being recorded for Pisces? So for the tour, um, the tie-in is limited because it seems only Randy Skit was the only one from the Rainbow Room that they were playing on the tour. For the recordings, No Time and Randy Skit were on already on a record that had already been released on Headquarters in May. And then going into the Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones, Pleasant Valley Sunday had already been released as a single, so that one was finished. There's a grouping of other ones that they were kind of in mid-process with recording when they would have shot these Rainbow Room videos. So they had worked on recording them in June and July of 67, and then they did this on August 2nd. But they were Daydream Believer, She Hangs Out, Love Is Only Sleeping, what am I doing hanging around and salesman? So they would have been miming to maybe not complete tracks when they were shooting these Rainbow Room videos. Some of Davy's dancing was maybe a little more vigorous than the song actually was. So I kind of wondered if that was part of it. He didn't quite know what the how the bass or the beat was going to end up in the final track. No, I, to, to say one thing about Randy Scow's Git being performed on the tour. I just discovered this um, yesterday and... I was absolutely fascinated when I stumbled across this fact that when they performed Randy Scow's Git during the summer tour, Davey played the drums while Mickey played the kettle drum on stage. He's not faking it. He was actually performing that song on the road. So I've always assumed that that was just a particularly good looking, you know, act, but that was actually something he was doing every night every night that their show wasn't canceled because of civil unrest anyway. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to play a tune now that Mickey wrote. Aha, some of you already know what it is. <laughs> Mickey has written only one, he says. It's not so, Mickey. You wrote another one. I heard you sing Happy Birthday the other day. He wrote the song, and it's so far out that not even Mickey knows what it means. 
don't care. He barely knows how to spell it. According to clockwork, <laughs> my drums are disintegrating. That is, if you have a three-dollar clock. Okay, let's let's go through um, some iconic moments. Uh, let's start with pick me an iconic Peter moment. Uh, start with Melinda. Um, him being the mad pianist, <laughs> Randy Scouse get. I mean, he was just totally, totally into it, and it was just great. I I love that. <laughs> cool. Give me an iconic Davy moment. Oh, God, him walking into the infinity rainbow at the end of the day, the, uh, Daydream Believer. That was, I just, no one can get that out of their minds. It's just, you know, it's just so touching now Yeah. with him being gone. And how about an iconic Mickey moment? Playing the kettle drums on Randy Scouts get. And I, I love the way they shot some of the, uh, some of the frames with, it looks like, Mickey is actually larger than life. It's, you know, it's like they have the camera really low and they're like projecting it up and he just looks just huge and it's just amazing. You know, he's just taking over, you know, that performance. Okay. How about an iconic mic moment for you? Playing the guitar through his tie on Daydream <laughs> Believer. <laughs> no one else can do it. <laughs> I think it's interesting. He was wearing a tie through, uh, I think, Every one of those sequences. I think Randy, he didn't have it, but most of the others, yeah, he had a tie. 
yeah, very, very dressed up. I wondered if, if they brought their own clothes or if those were like shipped in from California. I mean, they had the, the, the blue eight button shirts, but they might've been using those on the road. I don't know. But some of those um, outfits, this is the only place you see them is, right. is in this one day of filming. I mean, you know, do we have any other pictures of, of Mickey wearing that striped turtleneck or, or uh, Peter wearing that um, off-white uh, tunic with the ribbon trim? I can't remember. I'm going to have to go to the Sunshine Factory and, and use their clothing index to find other <laughs> pictures. <laughs> Folks, if you uh, follow our Facebook page, uh, check the show notes because Melanie will be doing research after the fact. <laughs> Bronwyn, give me your iconic Peter moment. I like the part where he's playing the piano with Davy and Daydream Believer and they sort of look like they're having a very brotherly, friendly, good time there. Does it seem to you like almost he's giving Davy a piano lesson? Yes, that's like how it looks. Life? You could interpret it that way, sure. What's your iconic Davy moment? I like she hangs out again where he sort of smiles and claps his hands at the beginning where he's standing in front of the drum. Mm-hmm. And I also wanted to say something else about Davy that you brought to mind when you were talking about him playing the drums. Yeah. So I also found out today he played bass for real on that tour. So when you see him playing the bass in Pleasant Valley Sunday, that's also something that he uh, really did on the tour for, not that song, but for The Girl I Knew Somewhere and I'm a Believer and possibly a couple of other ones. When Peter was playing the keyboards. Right. Yeah. Peter loves to tell that story. And I, I think it's so sweet. Oh. <laughs> that he says, you know, he'd just say, put your finger here, put your finger here, do that. And he would play that night. Yeah, that's so cool. Uh, how about an iconic Mickey moment? So I like the end of Randy Scout's get where he gets this sort of insane cross-eyed demented expression and he's just <laughs> pounding on the drum and the drum outro goes boom, 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 boom. Mm-hmm. I love that. Like he can't bear to let go of the song. Right, exactly. And they do that on the road sometimes too. At the end of Randy Scout's get, he'll start playing the that da 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 dum again and they have to stop him. <laughs> I love it. How about an iconic mic moment? So my mic moment is the opening bars of Love is Only Sleeping. When you just see his hand with his little Paul Revere in the Raider sleeve, and you just see him <laughs> playing those opening notes of Love is Only Sleeping. Mm-hmm. And that's a wonderful lick, so it's really nice to see. Okay, Megan, how's your iconic Peter moment? Um, I have to go with what Bronwyn was saying about Peter and Davey playing the piano together in Daydream Believer. It's such a sweet moment. And I think I think I heard Peter talking about that on his In This Generation tour when he was performing solo a couple of years ago and, and talking about that particular moment and, and how proud he was too to have arranged Daydream Believer and played the piano on it. So when I see him playing there, it's, you know, it just feels like a really wonderful Peter moment in the Rainbow Room. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tag on to that something he said in an interview on the radio with Ian Lee back in, I think, 2006. Ian played a, a snippet of the beginning of Daydream Believer and then said, you know, how many times have you played that? <laughs> and instead of, I think he gave, he tossed off a number, but then he said, I got to tell you something. Now I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have it right in front of me. But he says, I have to, you know, treasure the, the special and important things in life. And this is one of them. That's my hand on the piano that you're listening to. <laughs> yeah. The way exactly. he phrased that, that's my hand on the piano that you're listening to. And you think about the fact that he had no participation in I'm a Believer. He mm-hmm. had no participation in Last Train to Clarksville. 
Mm-hmm. He, you know, so many of their hits, he had nothing to do with. Right. And since he wasn't allowed to sing very much, his participation in the records, for the most part, was instrumental. And so for him to, to say, you know, hey, I don't mind listening to the opening phrase of that song that everyone's heard, you know, a million times, because that's my hand on the piano. Yeah. So I treasure that interview. So thank you yeah. sure. <laughs> for bringing that up. Okay. <laughs> Where do we leave off? I've forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we're up to my iconic Davy moment. Okay. In the room. And that would be probably just everything about Daydream Believer. I, you know, that's, that's. Davy's song. He owns that song um, in terms of, you know, performing it. And, and I think when we lost him, I had so many people, you know, come to me and say, oh, I'm so sorry to hear this happened. And they all knew that song. You know, people who didn't know the monkeys very well, everybody knows that song. And I just, you know, everything he's doing in that video is wonderful. His skate dance that's so famous. I think, Melinda, you said, you know, walking into the infinity wall at the end, yeah. which I always kind of choke up now, too, when I see him do that. But also wheeling on that base in Pleasant Valley Sunday, I have to throw that out too. He's he just looks like he's having such a good time, and it's so fun to see him on a different instrument. So mm-hmm. okay, how about an iconic Mickey moment? Yeah, here's where we're gonna come to fisticuffs, maybe Melanie, because I love him messing with that rack thing. I <laughs> and I and I reached in Love Is Only Sleeping, and I reached out to my monkeys expert in residence, uh, Craig Smith, who you all probably know from his work on Zilch in the past, and we. Googled and did all these searches to try to figure out what the heck that thing is. And we think it's a rack of a bunch of audio effects controllers that they probably had in the studio. So there you go. But I love the song. I love that video performance of it. And I'm just getting into it. It feels very serious. You know, the way it's shot kind of from the side and the angle. And then we cut to Mickey hamming it up. And I don't know. I'm just a sucker for Mickey hamming it up. And I'm just going to I'm going to move right on into my mic moment because uh-huh. it's it, again, um, echoing Bronwyn is that opening of Love is Only Sleeping with his lace cuffs and playing that riff, especially since the 2012 tour, you know, the first tour without Davey when Mike came back. You know, I'd gotten there kind of early at the Chicago Theater, and that was the first thing that came up on the big screens was the opening of um, Love is Only Sleeping about a half an hour before the show started. And I swear the whole audience, the whole sold out auditorium gasped because we were all like, this is happening and Mike's here. And then you have that moment of, but Davey's not. And I'll just never forget that feeling of seeing Mike's cuffs and thinking this is all happening again. I can't believe it. So, you know, I'm just never going to be able to see that video without thinking about that moment. That's cool. Well, I'm going to just throw in one thing here because we're running a little long, but I did want to add a Mickey moment for myself. And that is during Daydream Believer when Mickey starts thrusting his hand through the tambourine. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I think that that one may have been done late in the day because he clearly was a thousand percent done. Also, he was wearing the the blue shirt he wears in that video is actually the eight button blue shirt from What Am I Doing Hanging Round, but backwards. Yeah. 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 (laughs) There's just a whole lot of of, uh, Easter ham going on in that video. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. For each of you, give me one, oh, why, oh, why did you have to do it that way moment? Let's start with Bronwyn. So mine's more of a general one after doing all the sweet shirt. I think they should have had Davey be on, be the drummer the entire time, knowing that he could do it. And since Mickey did most of the singing, that would have been a cool switch if they had done it for the entire series. I think they had him behind the drums for the performance of Words, 
but that's not authentic. That was first season. They hadn't even made headquarters yet. But it's just interesting on that particular performance, they had Davy at the drums. Megan, do you have a why did they do it that way moment? I have a head scratcher moment, and that's in Daydream Believer. There's a cut on the lyric, but how much baby do we really need? That I think goes to footage from the She Hangs Out video, because Davy's mouth doesn't match. He does a little clap. There's no clapping, you know, really at that point in Daydream <laughs> Believer. And that's always thrown me off forever. Wow. Wait, what's going on? His, you know, so, so that's my little what was that about moment. I'm going to have to watch that more carefully <laughs> next time. Good yeah, catch. Take a look. Wow. Okay. Melinda. Well, I don't really have a why did you do it that way uh, moment. I think all of the videos are, are just stellar. But I, I just have a question as to why the hell didn't they finish Salesman? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I wish they had. It. I would have loved it. Yeah. Well, it's I mean, the holy grail. It's like, right. Exist, right? They probably did film everything they needed. It's just that they never used the footage. Because you realize, you know, they would have had to do each song four or five or seven or ten times in order to get the angles and the close-ups in order to edit together into something that, you know, they could put on the air. So I I don't know how long it would take to, to film what would end up being two and a half minutes of television, but they would have had to, to, to do, you know, okay, now let's get a close-up of Mickey. Now, okay, now let's get an, a reverse angle on Peter. Uh, okay, now everybody, you know, up away from the instruments, come over here and dance. You know, like in yeah. no time where the instruments yeah. are constantly appearing and disappearing. So that would have been a very involved process. And then they only ended up using Salesman once. And they used it in The Devil and Peter Torque when clearly they needed devils running around. Mm-hmm. So we just ended up with a couple of clips. But whether they ever actually edited the raw footage, I kind of doubt it. It's probably still in its raw state, if it exists at all. Might have gotten thrown away. Okay, pin a prize on the best Rainbow Room performance. Megan. Love is only sleeping, hands down. I love it. It's my favorite. Melinda? I would say the best Rainbow Room video is Randy Scout's Get. Just the head of no time, but the best Rainbow Room performance is she hangs out. Davey just owns that thing that he slays. <laughs> okay, I'm confused. What's what's the difference? <laughs> to me, the, the video as a whole, you know, needs to be taken into account. And, and like I said, with the group effort and just, you know, the shots and everything. And I have to separate that from the performance because oh. to me, Davey, his performance and she hangs out is just so individual. I mean... <laughs> Okay, the video, I see. I see. You're, so you're going. You're you're distinct, distinguishing between best director and best actor. Yeah, <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Okay, I should probably clarify my terms now that we're near the end of our conversation. I should have divined this up front. I have always been resistant to referring to these as videos, mainly because they were shot on film, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and they're not from the video era. These are historic. They're not from the from the 80s when I think of music videos becoming a thing. So I call them performances. But yeah, that's an interesting distinction that had not occurred to me. Well done. You got two in. Excellent. Bronwyn, <laughs> pin a prize on whatever you like. Uh, sure. So my favorite overall one is No Time because I like the way the four of them interact in that one. The little ta-da gesture they do where they and Mike keeps going on the wrong way and then Peter gets in on the going the wrong way act. 
and the energy <laughs> and the liveliness of that whole show they do in that one. And that's actually the, the very end of the opening credits for the second season where they're doing that kick line. Yeah. And Peter yeah. takes his feet off the floor altogether and is literally being suspended from the shoulders of his bandmates is from that, that particular video. <laughs> Last thing. Is there anything from any of their recordings after the TV show? Some of the later 1960s albums like Head or Instant Replay, Pull It, Justice, or Good Times that you would want to see get the Rainbow Room treatment? Melinda? Only from Good Times. I, you know, I don't think anything from Instant Replay because, you know, the group dynamic was just gone <laughs> at that point. And, Head, I mean, we already have, you know, Circle Sky, the great performance for Circle Sky, and even uh, from the movie with long title, you know, Davy's Daddy's Song. So nothing there in Pull It and Justice, no. Uh, so from good, so good times, she makes me laugh because it's just pure joy of <laughs> that song. So it, it kind of has that happiness, you know, uh, you know, Rainbow Room uh, vibe going on, but definitely a birth of an accidental hipster, forced quirkiness and the psychedelic overtones. I can see that when filmed in a rainbow room maybe even in black and white in a rainbow room oh that's cool and you know there's that little rickety dick drum thing in the middle of a birth yeah, of an accidental yeah. hipster <laughs> that's very much like a similar drumming in um, randy scouse kit right i can totally picture davy playing that <laughs> <laughs> it would be great cool cool uh bronwyn yeah, I'd like to see the title track from Good Times. It sort of has that gospel bluesy feel a little bit, like No Time for me. So of the really new ones, I'd love to see them do that one. Mm -hmm. Maybe a little older, but after that, after this time, I would love to see Tapioca Tundra. It has those sort of unusual psychedelic lyrics. Mm -hmm. That could be a fun one to have seen done in the Rainbow Room. Yeah. Oh, wow. You know, they, they, they only did this once. You know, they're... There's no other set of music performances that have that consistency. I have to admit, I always assumed, watching the show casually, that the Rainbow Room was a set in California. Yeah, I assume that too. Mm -hmm. and yeah. Every time they had a new song, it's like, okay, guys, let's you know, let's do some filming this afternoon over in the Rainbow Room, and we'll do Pleasant Valley Sunday. Mm -hmm. You know, the idea that they did all of these back to back to back to back to back to back in a single day. Wow. Okay. You know that that makes me think of, um, I read um, Richard Keel's biography. He um, is famous for Jaws, in, playing Jaws in James Bond movies. And he mm -hmm. was in um, I Was a Teenage Monkey. He's yeah, the, monster, the monster, right? right. And yeah. he talks about how hard the monkeys worked all day and then all night. And we, you know, we probably have all heard those stories about, you know, they were filming all day and then going to the studio at night to to um, record their first couple of albums. And, and you know, it, this the Rainbow Room phenomenon is just such an, it's another incidence of them just, you know, they go into the studio probably all day, you know, eight, 10, maybe 12 hours of this. And I mean, obviously they're getting loopy and Mickey's arm is going through the tambourine and all that stuff. So, I mean, but they, they had such a work ethic. It's, it's just so admirable, you know, during the, the run of the show. Wow. It really is. It really is. Megan, you, you didn't get a chance to name a, a more recent song to take into the Rainbow Room, but what you just said strikes me as such a perfect way to end the episode. Okay. I don't, I don't have a song, actually. I feel like the, the Rainbow Room is, is a product of that exact stretch of time that I, I can't really stick a song that's out of that era into it. So, mm -hmm. yeah. 
Okay. And I thank all three of you for joining me today to talk about the Rainbow Room performances, videos, whatever. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) This was a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Brahman, tell us again where we can find your blog. We can find my blog at blissville.net. Wonderful. And Megan, you're working with our old friend Craig Smith on your side. What is it called? It's called Same Page Cast. On your That's Same Page Cast. Tell yeah. us a little bit about that, that new yeah. podcast. Uh, you know, it's a sidecast of, it is part of the Pods and Sods network. And Pods and Sods is the, um, it's a podcast for the musically obsessed that Craig does with Eric Miller. Same Page Cast sort of grew out of that as an opportunity for, first of all, to get a woman going in the Pods and Sods network because I feel like, felt like they needed some more lady power. But also, it's a place where Craig and I talk about, things that we're on the same page about, things that we aren't. We talk about fandoms and stuff that we love. So we've talked about the monkeys quite a bit. And people who are listening might enjoy going back and hearing us go album by album over all of the monkeys albums. And then we have a couple of specials on the Good Times um, release, the initial release. And then we're, we have another sort of follow-up on some of the bonus tracks that came out. So I think you guys would all enjoy that. You can find us on the Pods and Sods Network on Facebook by just searching for that, on iTunes by searching for Pods and Sods. Podsodcast.com is where all of that stuff lives. Or you can just go to my site, which is MediaMegan.com, and hit the podcast tab. Yay! And Melinda Gildart, you've been doing a, a new project where you're actually getting to do some performing. Tell us about that. Well, I am the lead guitarist for a group of people who decided to wait until the age of 40 or or beyond to pick up a musical instrument. So (laughs) the name of our group is Midlife Crisis. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm the only chick, but uh, it's it's really cool. You know, they treat me like one of the guys. Yeah, we, we played the occasional gig in the southwest suburbs of Chicago, and I'm really enjoying it. It it's an absolute release from from the daytime regime, and um, I'm really having fun. And in addition to learning the instrument, like I said, playing with a group and you know seeing people come out and support us, it's it's a lot of fun. That is so cool. And and are there any videos yet? I have one from my uh, first solo performance, which uh, <laughs> my sister posted to her Facebook page, um, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> which includes me tuning my guitar. <laughs> We tune because we care. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, this has been a wonderful time. I thank you all for participating, and I hope you all have a lovely evening. Take care. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. You too. Bye. And whether you call it Fred Nile Studios, The Rainbow Room, or Harpo Studios, it has been sold and is now property of McDonald's. So instead of Mickey and a poncho, it'll be Ronald McDonald the Hamburger Clown. (laughs) These are the actual sounds of the building's destruction behind us. like to thank everybody involved with that and you know it, it is such an important and iconic time in the monkey's history and it just 
further goes on to point out how quick they were doing all of this stuff. I grew up thinking that all these songs were filmed individually myself. Uh, who knew this was one sweaty day in Chicago? Yep. <laughs> what we thought was over the rainbow was a sweaty day in Chicago. So there you go. <laughs> Magic nonetheless. Yes. So we would like to thank you for enjoying this look at the Monkey's Rainbow Room. Thank you for being part of this episode of Zilch. Please tell your friends. And go see the monkeys on tour next week. We hope to have another episode where we will have the color cast commentary, which is returning by popular demand. Woohoo! And we will be doing the episode Son of a Gypsy. Jeff Geringer will drop by with a little bit of an interview with Julie Newmar. Nice. Yes, that really happened. And... We'll talk about the monkeys being in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame again, and the monkeys live, and just what happened with Mike and the monkeys in Monterey. Yeah. So we will have all the scoop, and of course those Peter Torg dates. So tell your friends about Zilch. We will see you on all the social medias, and I guess it's time to say goodbye, Sarah. Goodbye, Sarah. Goodbye, Ken. And that's our show. Zilch is an online nonprofit monkeys audio fancy made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to the monkeys or any of their members past or present. We are not affiliated with Rhino or Ray Bird. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes and buy it. If you enjoyed the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying always take some time to monkey around. <laughs> Don't now. Now, really, everybody cool it, because I won't be able to get through this. Action. Hey, wow. It's a groovy button. What does it say? Love is the ultimate trip. Oh, gee, that's a nice thought. Gee, that's a neat button. What does it say? Let's go again. Okay, I'm going to do the episode. Sorry. That's okay. I'm going to do this while you figure that out, okay? okay. Episodes. I've got it picked out. Okay. Whispers of Peter Tork shows? No. Mm-hmm. Upcoming Peter Tork shows? With upcoming Peter Tork shows with sh- up <laughs> upcoming Peter Tork shows with shoe suede blues. Hey, I did it. Um, yeah, yay. just stum- stumbled in over everything else, but she got that. Um, I messed Sorry. up. I screwed up. Um, oh, okay. I thought I stepped on you. No, no, I screwed up, and then you stepped on me. Ow! It's like I tripped and you stepped on me. You know, Sarah, I, it's really hard to imagine what the monkeys would have been... Take two. You know, Sarah, I think it would have been a lot more boring to be a monkeys fan if the Rainbow Room shoots never occurred. <laughs> you know, Sarah... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, Sarah. She's right over here. Mm-hmm.